kind of misty, dreary day. Um, something I wanted to, to share about with you guys, um, we are going to be changing the way um, we receive our tithes, offerings, and gifts. Um, we are here in a couple of weeks going to move from passing plates to having some, some uh, giving boxes in the front and the back. And uh, I want to give you guys a little bit of the rationale behind this decision. Um, first of all, we feel like giving is something that the scriptures teach that is primarily between the individual believer and God rather than um, between us and our neighbor. Um, and so that, that, that's part of it. Um, secondly, we believe that um, for folks to follow the line of teaching in the scriptures that talks about you know, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't announce it with a trumpet. Um, some of that is kind of an underlying reasoning for this. And tied to that, we have had people, in, even in the, the last couple of months, who have wanted to make an anonymous donation, but it's rather hard to do that at Skillman because we don't have a means for you to give without somebody seeing you give. You know, for it to get to the right hand, somebody's going to know who gave it. Um, and so that's another piece of it. Um, but also... We, we feel like it sometimes puts people who are guests here in a very awkward spot as the plate passes them. Um, it, they feel sometimes compelled to just dig around real quick and throw something in the, in the, in the basket. And, and we don't ever want to put people in a place where they feel uncomfortable about something like that. Um, God doesn't want us to give out of guilt. He doesn't want us to give out of compulsion, that kind of stuff. He wants us to give cheerfully from the heart and so we, we feel like this is going to be a way for us to, to do that a little more appropriately. We still feel like giving is a worshipful thing. There's nothing wrong with passing plates inherently. We just feel like for us at this time, we're going to make this, this change. And so I wanted to let you know about that. Um, when, when they're here, I'll, I'll point that out again and may make somewhat of a, of a shortened brief uh, announcement about this next week as well. But we'll, you'll see this change probably in, in the next two to three weeks. So next week we'll probably continue to pass the baskets, but here, here shortly once we have uh, what, we, what we need to have uh, to make that happen. If you have any questions uh, or concerns about any of this, I encourage you to come talk to me or one of our elders. Uh, we'd love to dialogue with you about it. Um, because you know, I'm sure what I just said may, may not answer all the questions you have. It may create more questions, but I wanted to let you know that we are uh, planning to move that direction here in the near future. Well, uh, when I was in the fifth grade, I did one of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life. Um, I got up on a trailer that my family owned. It was the, you know, simple two-wheel trailer that you pulled behind your, your van or your truck. We used it to go on ski trips and church trips, and it was like where we put all of our luggage. This thing was rinky-dink, didn't have much to it. It was just kind of three walls with a, a little gate on the back. Anyway, it was about three feet tall. And I decided that I was going to do something brilliant, and I got up on top of this trailer. I jumped as high as I could with a basketball in my hands and tried to dunk on a 10-foot goal. I was in fifth grade, about five foot nothing, and thought that this would be my best chance to be like my hero, Michael Jordan. Now, I have no idea whether the ball went in the hoop that day, but what I distinctly remember was falling for what seemed like forever and bracing 
you know, trying to break my fall with my extended left arm and fracturing my left wrist. In my attempt to be like my hero, Michael Jordan, and experience what it must have been like to have his mad dunking skills, all I had to show for it was a broken wrist and a pretty sweet Houston Rockets cast that my friends got to sign whenever I went to school that next, next day. I tell you that story because I believe at one time or another, every single one of us has been in a position where we've seen somebody else be able to do something or have something that we want to be able to do or have, and we've asked ourselves the question, how do I get me some of that? How do I do that? How do I get that? And when it comes to the scriptures, I think that a lot of us read the stories of the Bible and we see the heroes of the faith doing their radical things and interacting with God in these supernatural ways. And it, if we're honest, we've asked that question, why don't I experience God like this? Why doesn't he show up in my living room in a burning bush? Okay, maybe not in your living room. That would be kind of bad. But we see God show up in these people's lives. We look at Elijah, and he called down fire from heaven. And I don't know about you. I'd be content just to be able to get my daughter to go to sleep sometimes, like if I had that supernatural ability. I don't even need fire from heaven. Whether it's Paul and his unwavering commitment to the gospel, Peter and his sudden switch from a coward to a bold evangelist, or David and his ability to face a nine-foot-tall giant with just a sling and a couple rocks. I don't know about you, but I read these stories sometimes, and I really ask the question, why don't I experience God in his power like that? Now, here's something I want to talk about before we, we go into the rest of this. I don't know if it's God's plan or his desire for us to be able to call down fire from heaven. I don't know if he really wants each and every one of us to have these same experiences that people did in the Old Testament. Maybe, maybe not. But what I do know is that God has communicated to us in his word that he does want us to experience his power. And he's actually made it that, so that we do and that we would. And so the question I want to talk about today is how do we experience God's power? How can you and I personally experience God's power? Power. If you have a, a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 4 through 8 today. If you need a Bible, there's a blue one there in front of you. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And as we, as we look at this text, I believe it tells us how we can experience God's power. I believe it will show us how we can experience God's power. And specifically, I think we'll see the answers to three questions. One, where... Does God's power reside? Number two, how do we receive his power? And number three, why are we given this power? Where does it reside? How do we receive it? And why are we given it? Move up just a little bit here. But before we, we read this, I want to pray for our time together. Lord, we are so grateful that we get to be here today. We are truly blessed that we have the freedom and had the means to get here today. Um, we thank you that we're, we're able to, to meet inside in a climate-controlled building on this cold day. 
Lord, we, we gather here today, first and foremost, to worship you, to honor you, to praise you, because you're worthy of everything that we are and everything that we have. And one of the ways that we worship you is we want to read your word and we want to hear from you and be with you so that our lives look a little bit more like the life of your son. And so I ask that you would take our, our next 25 minutes or so and direct our eyes, direct our hearts, direct our minds to you. I pray that you would use this time for, for our benefit, but also for your good, for the, for the glory of your name. I pray that your spirit would have his way with this time, that we would really connect with you in our hearts today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. If you want to read along with me. This is what it says. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus tells the disciples, this is after he's raised, this is um, before he ascends to the Father. So in that, that, that short period of his resurrection life on the earth before he ascends, he comes to them and says, listen, don't leave Jerusalem because the promise of the Father is coming. And you need to be here so you can receive that. And this makes them think that he's going to bring the kingdom, that the thing that they've been wanting all along, this national, political, you know, overturning of their oppression, they, they, and, and if you read the Old Testament, it makes sense for them to think that before we bash the disciples. But Jesus says, listen, it's not for you to know when this is going to happen. This is the Father's thing, and he, he, he doesn't want you to know that. He hasn't communicated that to you. But what he does want you to know and what you do need to focus on is that I'm going to send the Spirit, and when he comes, you're going to be my witnesses. And so today I want to look at verse 8 because this is what Jesus wants us to know. This is what he wanted the disciples to know, and this is really the most important thing that we can understand for this period of history, for this period of God's mission between Christ's ascension and his return, this is what it's all about. This is the meat and potatoes of the church age, okay? So in this verse, in verse 8, we're going to see our answer to how we experience God's power. First of all, we're going to see that it shows us where God's power is found. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the first thing we see here is that power is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. Power is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now first of all, I want to talk about what Jesus means when he uses the word power. If you look at, at the scriptures and, and, and the use of this word that Jesus uses, and I think this perfectly fits this, this passage, is that we are to understand God's power in the Holy Spirit in, in two basic ways. God's power is strength and it is ability. It is strength 
and ability. Now, strength is sometimes physical, but it can also mean a mental or emotional strength, and it carries the idea of being able to withstand and up, uh, hold up under pressure. I mean, you think of what, what something that is strong, it's, not, it's, it's, it's what you would already think, okay? Now, ability, the other side of this, the, it's, 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 a, it's a both and. Ability is having the skills or the means to be able to do something, right? It's, it's, it's knowing, having what it takes and knowing how to do something. So what, what, we, what we see here is that God gives us both strength and ability in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to talk about a little bit later, we'll come back to this, I promise, about what ability specifically the Spirit gives us. We are going to see that later in this verse, so, so kind of hang on to that. But for now, what we need to understand is that power is found in the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who along with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, make up the Godhead. Okay? And the reason why I specifically say the person of the Holy Spirit and not just the Holy Spirit is that I believe a lot of people in our day, in our segment of Christianity, forget that the person is a spirit. I mean, sorry, the, the spirit is a person. I said that backwards. We forget that the spirit is a person. A lot of us think of the spirit as more like a force or a power, but he is a person. He has his own personality. He has his own gifts. He has his own role within the Godhead. Unless you want to be here till 1230, I'm not going to unpack all of that today. And some of you should say thank you right now. But we often forget that the Holy Spirit is a person. As Bible church people, we think the Trinity is the God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. I've heard James make that joke before, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. We substitute the Spirit with God's communicated word, and this, this is very valuable, guys. I, I never want to downplay the value of the Bible, but the Bible is not part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is co-eternal. He's co-equal with the Father and the Son. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is worthy of the same worship and obedience that we give to Jesus or the Father. This has massive implications, guys. When we read the text, when we see the Spirit calling us to things or moving in certain ways, and of course, when it comes to our lives, and we're going to talk more about this later, we are in sin when we are in disobedience to the Spirit. When we don't listen to the Spirit, when we downplay it, when we disobey, we are in sin. I think a lot of us, I, I think a lot of us treat the Spirit, and I'll, I'll be honest, this is, this is convicting for me. I think we treat the Spirit like Cousin Eddie on Christmas vacation. Like when he comes to visit, we're kind of like trying to get him out of there as soon as we can. We want him to leave because he makes us uncomfortable. You know, he gets up in our living room and starts drinking his eggnog with his mock neck turtleneck or whatever with the black thing hanging out on from his little moose glass. Okay, the Spirit doesn't do that. But that's how we sometimes reap the Spirit feels. You know, for our charismatic brothers, they're a little more welcoming of the Spirit. And we sometimes get a little freaked out, and so we're like, you know what, I don't understand that, so why don't you just, here's the door. And that's not okay. That's not okay. Because Jesus says the person of the Holy Spirit is where all of his power for us resides. It's where his power resides. So if power is found in the person of the Holy Spirit, what that means for us is that if we're going to experience God in all of his power, we've got to look for his power in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
We have to look in the right direction. We have to go to the right source. And so we have to look for power in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that look like? I think practically that looks like being a person of prayer, communing with God by His Spirit. I think that looks like asking God, actually going to God and asking for the Spirit to fill you with strength and ability, to help you to be the person that God calls you to be and do the things that He calls you to do. In all honesty, I think a lot of times we don't experience God's power in our lives because we don't look to the Spirit for power. I think a lot of us, if you're like me, we look in all kinds of places for ways to get ahead, for ways to succeed, for ways to be better whatever it is that we want to be, all the while neglecting the Spirit. What does that look like? For me, that looks like reading articles online by pastors and other theologians and trying to glean from their wisdom Maybe for you it looks like listening to TED Talks or reading Harvard Business Review articles. Nothing wrong with any of that. But if we do that at the neglect of the Spirit and wonder why we don't experience God's power, maybe we're just looking to a bunch of men instead of God himself. Maybe maybe the biggest change when it comes to experiencing God isn't reading the greatest leadership book or the top Christian bestseller but actually getting on our knees before God and saying, I want you to move. I beg you to move in my life. I surrender. Here I am. Do what you will. Here's what I think I really want us to know on this first point. There is absolutely no substitute for the person of the Holy Spirit and the power that he has. There's nothing out there that can replace what the Spirit who the Spirit is, and what He does in the life of a believer. You can do everything else right, but not depend on the Spirit and everything fall flat. The person of the Spirit is the source of power, so we have to look for power in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's where God's power resides. Let's look at our second question. How do we receive this power? So the power is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. How do we receive that? Look back at verse 8 with me. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the power of God is received when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person. Now what does this mean and when does this happen? Or or how does this happen? For the disciples, it happened when the Spirit was sent at Pentecost. And that was a very unique, special moment. For the believers... Those of us in this room, the Holy Spirit comes upon a person at the moment that they place their faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit coming upon a person is very similar to the idea of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside of you as a seal of your uh, faith, as a seal of the fact that you are one of God's elect and that you're his child. And Paul talks about this. If you want to read more about it, you can look at Ephesians 1.13 and Romans 8.9. So the Holy Spirit comes upon each and every believer at the moment of justification, at the moment of salvation. But I believe there's another way that the Holy Spirit comes upon people as well. And it's not to replace or or be different than that first. That's not my point. But I think sometimes, of his own initiative, God 
chooses to fill people with his spirit to bless them with an anointing for a special season or a task. We see in the scriptures this happened a lot in the Old Testament. But even in the New Testament, I believe that we see a precedent for sometimes God just decides, I really want this person to do this particular thing, and so I'm, gonna, I'm going to anoint them, and the Spirit is going to come upon them for this season or for this task. Sometimes that looks like filling people with the Spirit so that they can preach boldly. We see that throughout Acts. Sometimes that looks like filling people with the Spirit so that they can have the ability to do something like discern a situation spiritually. You think of the, the gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes God, you know, we, there may be those of us who are given a gift that we have kind of throughout our lives. I hope that I have the gift of preaching. If I don't, I probably need to change careers. But then there are also others of us who may, or, or there are also situations for all of us where God may give us a gift for a particular instance because he has a particular thing that he wants to do. Now, the careful thing that we have to, to, to consider is that you can't manipulate God for this, and you can't, like, there's no recipe. You don't just, like, go look at the scriptures and be like, well, how did that person get that anointing? Okay, I'll go do what they did, and then God will give me that anointing. It's not prescriptive. It's more of a descriptive thing. But I do believe that God is free. God is not bound by anyone. And sometimes what his desire is is that he would use a certain person in a particular way, and so he fills them with his spirit for them to be able to complete that thing that's part of his will. But I also believe that sometimes the spirit comes upon us or fills us in direct relation to our obedience. If you read the New Testament, what you will see again and again is that the idea of being filled by the spirit is being controlled by the spirit being under the Spirit's authority. In, Paul, in, in Ephesians 5.18, what does Paul say? He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. What does wine do to you when you're drunk? It controls you. You start to do things that you wouldn't do if you weren't drunk. You start to make decisions and do actions that you wouldn't do if you weren't drunk. The filling of the Spirit enables you to do things that you wouldn't do that if you weren't filled. It enables you to have boldness that you wouldn't have if you weren't filled. It's a controlling type thing, not in some bad way, but in a great way because you're yielding yourself to the third person of the Godhead. So the, the Holy Spirit comes upon every single believer when we place our faith in Jesus. And sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon people at God's own initiative for a certain season or a certain task. And sometimes, I believe, it is due to our obedience. Because we have, again and again, yielded our hearts, yielded our lives, yielded our flesh, yielded our wills to that of the Father, that of the Son, that of the Spirit, and then the Spirit is able to lead and take control of us in a way because we're yielded, because we're surrendered, because we're obedient. Now, if power is received when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the way that I believe we're going to experience God's power is to listen and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit, to actually listen and obey what the Spirit is saying to us. Now, 
There are some of, this, some of us in this room today, the reason why we are not experiencing God's power is because we've never trusted in Jesus for our salvation, and so we don't have the Spirit. We're disconnected from the source of power. Like a lamp that isn't plugged into a wall will never produce light, no matter how new the light bulb is and how awesome the lamp is. If you do not have the Spirit because you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you can't connect to the source of power. You're not connected. But there are others of us who are believers and are connected to the source of power, and the Spirit is speaking to us today and speaking to us And sometimes the reason why we don't experience God's power is because we are not listening or we're living in radical, just blatant disobedience. Now, I don't know what the Spirit is saying to each and every one of us today, but here's some things that I think the Spirit, the categories that the Spirit um, works. Because the Spirit convicts of sin, I believe sometimes... The Spirit's calling on my life or on your life is to surrender an idol that is keeping us from fully experiencing God's power. A thing that we're latched onto that until we let go of, we're not going to experience God to the same extent. Now once again, be careful. I'm not saying you can manipulate God with your obedience. I'm saying that disobedience has has an impact on the way that we experience God's power. But maybe there's another way that the Spirit is speaking to us. Maybe one of us is living in some secret sin, and the Spirit's call upon our life today is to go and confess that. Maybe to somebody that we trust, or, you know, definitely to somebody we trust. Maybe that's a spouse. Maybe that's a good friend. Maybe that's one of our elders or or leaders here at Skillman. But the reality is that there are some of us that the main reason we are not experiencing God's power is because we are living in sin. Unrepentant, unwilling to address what the Spirit is saying. Hey, we got to deal with this. And until we do, we're not going to experience God's power the way that we could. But here's the good news about this, guys. It is never too late for us to repent, and it is never too late for God to turn things around. And in fact, one of the things that just blessed my heart this week as I was thinking about, I don't know what I was, what I was doing, but the, the thought crossed my mind that God loves and is just waiting to give out grace and mercy to those who look for it. God's not up in heaven like, you know, holding on to his grace like a little kid who doesn't want to share. He's not back here going, you know what, they're going to have to really try harder before I forgive them. What did the prodigal's father do? He ran down the road and embraced him. And when the son tried to rattle off all of his excuses and reason for why he had messed up, the father would hear none of it. He said, grab my robe, grab my ring. He's home. I thought he was dead. Let's party. No matter where you are, no matter if you've been disobeying and not listening to the Spirit for an extended season, today all of that can change. God the Father is waiting for you to repent and he's got all the grace and mercy that you would ever need and it is yours for the taking if you will turn around if we want to experience power we have to look for power in the person of the spirit but we also have to listen and obey the voice of the spirit 
So that explains where the power is found. That explains how we receive it. But why does God give us this power? Why does God give us power in the Spirit? Look at the last part of verse 8. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this is the part I want to focus on. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the purpose of our power, the purpose of God's power being given to us is so that we will be Christ's witnesses across the world. The purpose for God's power being given to us is that we would be Christ's witnesses across the world. Let's talk about what a witness is for a second. I want to define it just simply this way, and and I'll, I'll give you the rationale for this. A witness speaks about what they have seen and what they have heard. A witness speaks about what they have seen and what they have heard. In Acts chapter 4, we just covered this passage a few weeks ago at the fire. Peter and, gosh, I forget who else it is. Maybe, uh, I forget. I don't even want to say. I'm going to flip over there. But in Acts 4, Peter basically is, is the spokesperson. And they've been beaten, or they're about to be beaten. They've been brought in by all of the leaders, and they're basically telling them, you got to shut up. You can't keep preaching about Jesus. You're going to cause a revolt. Everything's going to go crazy. You're creating a big commotion. you got to stop preaching about Jesus. And what do they say? They say, whether it is right for us to obey you or God, that's up for you to decide. But we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. So a witness is someone who speaks about what they have seen and what they have heard. In today's Old Testament reading, uh, Isaiah 43, 8 through 13, God told Israel that they were his witnesses. Specifically, he said, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. So part of being a witness is knowing God and understanding who he is. Okay, But then he adds this. He says, I declared and saved... And proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses. So here's what I want us to understand. Being a witness is speaking about what we have seen and heard, but part of what it takes to actually have something to talk about is both knowing something and experiencing something. In this text in Isaiah, what I believe we're we're to walk away with is that Jesus wants us to testify both of the truth about him, so correct theology, correct doctrine as we read about in his word, but also how we have experienced him, how we have seen him show show up in our daily lives and in the lives of those around us. And we talked a lot about that last week, and so I'm not going to repeat that sermon. But it's, it's both a knowledge thing and it's an experience thing. It's not either or. Now, I want to point out real quick, there's also a specific plan for how God wants this power and this purpose to roll out. He wants us to be his witnesses, but in a specific direction, in a specific way. Look at what he says. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jerusalem was where they were. Judea was that area around them, the encompassing region. Samaria was where their enemies lived, and then the end of the earth. We know what that means. 
So God's plan all along was for the church to be his witnesses in this moving out from the middle direction. A centrifugal, not centripetal, but centrifugal, however you say that, movement. Kind of like we think when you throw a rock in a pond and all the little ripples go out like this. That's how he designed this whole thing to work. He wants the church to be that we start right where we are, and then from there the gospel spreads out. Now, sometimes the church has struggled with the gospel moving outward. In, in, in Acts, the New Testament reading we read today, God encouraged the church a little. As we read about, basically what happened was persecution started, and then the gospel starts traveling, and it actually broke into Samaria because of persecution. The last verse that we read, Acts eight, uh, 5, said that Philip, I believe, went down to Samaria to preach Christ. And so what I want us to understand here is that God is so concerned with his gospel going out, and he so desires for Jesus to receive the worship that he's due and for the eternal destiny of the lost, that he would even shake up somebody's temporary earthly safety and comfort so that it'll happen. And actually what you see in, throughout church history is that the very death and martyrdom of the believers is often the way by which the gospel goes into a new pocket and a new crevice, and it actually reaches every tongue, tribe, and nation. Now, some people have a hard time with that. Why in the world would God allow this kind of stuff to happen? But like I said, the people who are laying down their lives, they're already reconciled to God. They're already... They're Future is secure. They will spend eternity with him. God knows that. And he knows that their earthly existence, they're just passing through, they're on this pilgrimage. There is no greater way for them to expend their lives than to take the gospel forth. And if it takes their very blood, so be it. He's not capricious. He's not flippant. He just knows that these folks are already safe, they are already secure, but he has people that are not in his family yet that the only way by which they're going to get in is at the death of his saints. And that is a hard truth, but it is a reality. So power is given for the purpose of being Christ's witnesses. So if we want to receive God's power, if we want to experience it, we've got to go to the right source, we've got to walk and listen and obey the Spirit, but we also have to be witnesses for Christ from our neighborhood to the nations. That's the way I, I, will, I would like to put it today. If we want to experience God's power, we have to be a witness for Jesus right here in our neighborhood and out to the nations. Now, one of the things I want to point out as we're uh, talking about this before we wrap up is notice this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Our calling is more about who we are than what we do. Our calling is more about our character than our conduct. Our calling begins with our hearts and our inside. And according to what Jesus says, we're already his witnesses. We have been made his witnesses the day that we placed our faith in Christ. You became a witness. Every single one of us in this room, I've talked about this up until now, we all wear the name tag missionary. 
But another name tag that you wear is witness. And part of being a witness, whether you like it or not, because I kind of resist this label a little bit, is you're a preacher. You've been called to speak about what you have seen and heard. Every single one of us in this room who has placed our faith in Christ, that is who we are. We are witnesses. But before we ever open our mouths, it begins with who we are. And I believe that what, the way I would like to put this, to, to make it simple, is God is calling us to live like Jesus for Jesus before we ever speak about Jesus. I think the, the progression is we live like Jesus for Jesus, and then we speak about him because then when we open our mouths, we have the life to back it up. We have the conduct that is in, uh, the character that is in, in uh, agreement with the very words that we speak. So the Spirit gives us strength and ability not just to proclaim the truth, it also give, he also gives us the strength and ability to submit our flesh and to surrender our hearts to God so that we can live in obedience. But after that, the Spirit also does enable us to testify. He gives us the ability, He gives us the strength to tell others about who Jesus is and what He has done. I want everybody just to, to focus for like one more second. I'm going to wrap up here very soon. I want to make the case that a big reason why a lot of us don't experience God's power is because we're not out witnessing. We're not being a witness. I remember I heard a talk from Francis Chan. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a pastor who was at a mega church in California, left it all to basically go be like a street-level, grassroots disciple maker. Left the big church, left the big money, and he goes out. I think he started another church where they literally like travel around in poor areas of California, go share the gospel with people, get back together and talk about what the Spirit did. Like That's their church. I heard him say that the greatest ways that he's ever experienced God's power is when he's out making disciples. I think there's a lot of truth to that. If God gives us his power so that we will be witnesses, wouldn't it make sense that we would experience that power most fully at the red-hot center of being a witness? I know for me, the times that I've seen God show up in ways that are kind of that spooky, kind of like, I don't know, I don't have a box, I don't have a label for this, have been in the times when I'm out distinctly for the purpose of sharing the message of Jesus. I remember being on a mission trip in the Ukraine years ago. We were in this lady's kitchen, and she had just told us about how, I forget, sometime that year or the year before her husband had died. She was Eastern Orthodox or something, maybe Catholic, I forget. But she started telling us about how like, she believed her husband was in heaven because they had done this rite where they like go and bless the grave and all this stuff. And I can't even rattle off the scripture right now, but that day in her living room or in her kitchen, the Spirit brought to mind some text that like literally was directly related to see how that wasn't what determines whether or not we spend eternity with the Father, but this was. I mean, I really can't even remember the scripture right now. But that day, some obscure text that I could never rattle off, still can't, the Spirit brought to mind, and 10 or 15 minutes later, not at the result of me, I want to be careful, but because the Spirit was wanting to do something that day, as we were out sharing the gospel with this lady, she bowed the knee to Christ and went, fell into tears in her kitchen as she shared Christmas dinner with us. She actually had some duck, and it was incredible. 
But I experienced God's power in a unique way as I was out being a witness. And I'm breaking one of the cardinal rules. I hate talking positively about myself in a sermon. So please don't walk away with the conclusion that I'm awesome. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that when we are at the center of being a witness, the Spirit uses us, and it's the Spirit's power that makes this stuff happen, and it's to God's glory. But if you want to experience God's power for yourself, the biggest way I know how is to go and be a witness. To live your life and to use your mouth to share about who Jesus is and what he has done. If you do that, I believe God will show up. I believe the Spirit will do amazing things. So power is found in the person of the Holy Spirit, and we receive it when we place our faith in Jesus, and sometimes when God, of his own initiative, chooses to bestow it upon us, or when we've been walking in obedience. It, it can sometimes be a result of that as well. But the reason we get it, the reason he gives it to us, is so that we will be a witness. The result of all of it, the, the takeaways, once again, Let's look for power in the person of the Holy Spirit, not in the greatest and latest stuff that we can find here. Let's listen and obey the voice of the Spirit as he speaks to us and convicts us and calls us to do things that are scary. And let's be witnesses for Christ right here in our neighborhood and out to the nations. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have blessed us with this wonderful gift that you have given us yourself, that the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, lives inside each and every one of us who is a believer by faith in Christ. My prayer today is that we would all walk out of here realizing whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, you live in us and you have made us your witnesses. That is who we are. I pray that you give us the strength and ability in increasing measure as we look to you, as we listen to you, as we obey your spirit, and as we choose to get out on the front lines and be a witness for you everywhere we are. God, help us not to just shrink back, not to just play it safe. Give us eyes and ears of faith so that we walk in obedience to you and experience you in profound ways. Not because that's just cool, but because it honors you and because it glorifies the name of your son. We pray this in his name. Amen.